Okay. Uh, uh, so thankful to be to be here. I've been uh, Garibo's friend for years and Kenzie's friend for years. So it's my uh, my joy to be with you this morning. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm eight. Psalm eight. Psalm eight. Psalm 8, if you find, I find it, reads as follows. To the choir master, according to the Gertrude, a psalm of David. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of, out of, out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established Strength because of your force to steal the enemy and avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your, of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the bears of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. O oh Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we thank you. Oh. That Lord, you are indeed majestic in all the earth. We pray that Lord, you would uh, be captured by nothing else but by your glory. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. Uh, having grown up uh, in the heart of the Okavango Delta, uh, one of the despised uh, trade or, or task is being of a headman. Uh, this work uh, put the lives of the men in danger. Uh, the head the head boys leave their home early in the morning after they have milled the cows. And they go uh, to the heart of the forest in order to find person the food for the, for the animal. I can recall this adventurous, uh, adventurous day and, and night as a head boy. And this entailed finding fruits for, uh, finding fruits, hunting, jumping over dangerous snakes like pythons. It was, it was fun, I tell you. Uh, some of us also enjoying uh, swimming in the heart of the of the river, also fishing as well. Those are the most important, also part aspect of being a head boy. Uh, but the most important part of being a head boy is after you have have an adventurous day, they're just swimming and hunting. Is the time whereby you have to go back home. It's dark right there in the delta. Uh, uh, here at this time, some of the, of the head boy get lost along the way, some eaten by the lions. Uh, uh, but, but then it takes a skillful hunter, a skillful head boy to go back home. They rely on different uh, th- things to take them ha- home in the heart of the night. Some, the, the, uh, the, the skilled hunters look at the stars uh, to direct them. Some look at the past to direct them. But the skillful, uh, the skillful head man, 
rely on a particular ox which leave the, 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 the head of the cattle back home. Uh, this, this kind of an ox does not get lost. It knows home. It knows how to fight the lions and to protect other heads to take it back, to take them back. I think, uh, brothers, uh, uh, this kind of a psalm before, uh, uh, this psalm before us, I could call it a take-home psalm. Uh, brothers, the psalm that before us is an orientation harm, a psalm. Uh, this psalm says the heart aflame for God. It orients the heart towards God. It shows the heart that have, uh, that have uh, uh, run astray from God and tune it back to be, uh, to be with God. If you look at this psalm in its context in which it has been sought, if we look at it in a chronological order, in Psalm 2, in Psalm 2, the, the nations are avenging and are rebelling against God. In, in Psalm 3 and 4, we see David in Psalm 3 and 4, whereby his son is so rebellious towards him. You look at Psalm 5, it talks about total depravity, a heart that is uh, against God. In chapter 7, in, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 7, David cries to God that God would, uh, uh, would, uh, would protect him from his avengers. But now, in this psalm before us, David turned to praise and worship to God. The cows have arrived home. The birds have stopped singing. The dogs have stopped bagging. The dust have settled. When all things have been said and done, David turned to God in worship and praise to Yahweh. Uh, this psalm uh, uh, medi- meditates on the glory of God reflected in the work of creation. And as you look at the heavens and the stars and the moon, uh, the psalmist uh, can't wait but to fall on his knees and worship Yahweh, uh, his God. One of the purpose of this, song, of this song is to express the wonder of exalted beauty of creation as it depicts the works and the fingers of Yahweh. Uh, it comes it clearly clear that the psalmist in this psalm, brothers, you can't read it. But one thing that you get out from this psalm is that he's captivated by the glory and the beauty of God. You can't read it. It's one thing that grabs your heart. Look at the phrase, how it starts. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name where? in all of the earth. The psalmist has one, has one passion, friends. That's, that's, that, that's to, to worship the splendor of God, the beauty and the, and the majestic wonder of God as, the, as, as the, the, depicted in creation. The question then, uh, that, then, uh, that, that I could ask you before we, we indulge in the beauty of this psalm, are you captivated by the beauty, by the majestic wonder of God? Uh, we tend, for brothers and sisters, to be captivated by lesser passions and finer glories, aren't we? E.g., uh, money, whatsoever, cars. Uh, those kind of uh, lesser passions, the finite, finer passions and glory, uh, they're supposed to function as a, a pointer to the majestic beauty uh, of God. Our hearts are supposed to be enthralled, captivated, swallowed up, swallowed up by God's infinite glory. 
Being kept, being captivated with God's infinite glory, brothers and sisters, entails that, that our hearts are set attuned to Christ. In other words, Christ becomes our chief joy. He becomes our, tre- our treasure. He becomes more than any other earthly thing. It means magnifying the beauty of Christ. It means enjoying the glories of Christ. Enjoy unashamedly declaring that Christ is your Savior. This is encapsulated, brothers, in this song. Thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. I want to, talk, to share with you, brothers, here, in this, uh, brothers and sisters, in this um, four snapshots of God's infinite glory captured in time. To, be, to reveal God's majestic glory so that we might spend our whole eternity being, being living for God's glory. In other words, capture a skilled uh, a photographer as he jumps around around the delta and takes up snapshots, chaka, 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 four of them. Uh, the first snapshots of God's infinite glory that I want to share with you is first one, God's infinite glory, first point, God's infinite glory is displayed in God's name. God's infinite glory is displayed in God's name. Look at verse one. Look at verse one, my friend. Look at verse one. Oh Lord, oh Lord, our God. Stop right there. (laughs) Just stop there without going anything. My friend, stop there, Charlie. Because this one, this is deep and really deep. Uh, this 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 a poetic expression of exonotic, of a, a, a exoneration or high praise. The psalmist affirm the covenant name of Yahweh as their God. But know that he is not just a local deity of the of the Israelites, but he's universal in fame. Look at the psalm again. How majestic is your name word in all the earth? Our Yahweh, Master, King, Ruler. Oh, how great and how majestic is your name in all the earth. In other words, that's the heartbeat. And that's, my brothers and sisters, that's the close, that's the opening line. And guess what? That's the closing line of the psalm. In other words, he can't run away from this line. This line captures his heart. This psalm, brothers, exalt the beauty of God. And also, look at the, at the the object of the sentence. It's Yahweh, his name. The psalmist here find joy in beautifying and exalting the name of Yahweh in all the earth. In other words, Yahweh's beauty is expressed. Expressed not only in Israel, but in all the earth. Now, brothers and sisters, the name that stands up there at the beginning, the name Yahweh. It entails God's revealed name. When God uh, revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 13, chapter 3, verse 14. This name, Yahweh, is a covenant name. It's different from the name El Shaddai. It's different from the name El Adonai, uh, Adonai or El. It's a different name. This name, uh, Yahweh, means, that, means the self-existent one. Uh, this means that God is all-sufficient. He's, he's in need of nothing. There is nothing that we can bring to the table that means a need or hole in God. This name means God is autonomous. Uh, this name means that God 
is independent. And, this, and that God is transcendent. This name means that God is immutable. It says, I am what I am. You see, this is really encapsulated with a, with a, with a term that they call the aseity of God. That, that, that entails that God is, is contained within himself. That God is self-sufficient within himself. That there are no needs outside of God that the creature can bring to God. There are no goals, no holes in, in, in God's soul. In other words, uh, uh, Yahweh means that God is eternally happy. That God is eternally satisfied. That God, on his own, does not need a man to make him happy. That's the term that when he opens the line right there, Oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist find joy in exalting this name. His heart is raptured and captivated by Yahweh's name. Like a prisoner bound in chain, the psalmist's heart is caught and captivated by the, by the, by the infinite glory of Yahweh's name. This, there is enough data, brothers and sisters, uh, uh, to provide us with the evidence that God does everything for his name's sake. The expression of this psalm, it's also it's got a mission, it's got a mission in nature. And it's depicted by the phrase, in all the earth. The psalmist is captured by the vision of seeing the splendor and the majesty of God's name and theme resounding and echoing in every corner of the world. And this is really shown very well. In uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse 13 Where the writer uh, writes And every created thing Which is in heaven and on earth And under the earth and on the sea All things in them I heard To him who sits on the throne To the Lamb Be blessed honor and glory And dominion and forever In other words that encapsulated Yahweh's name resounding And echoing in all the earth Everything that is on heaven, everything that is on earth, every corner crying out that God, Yahweh, Jesus is mine. This is what captures the psalmist in this psalm. Oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, John Piper in his famous book, as you all know, Let the Nations Be Glad, captured this missions aspect embedded within this psalm. He writes, God's great goal in all of history is to uphold and display the glory of his name for the enjoyment of his people from all the nation. Mission, as he said, missions exist so that worship will exist. Mission therefore carries out the great goal and God's passion which bring all nation in submission to God's name. Note that this name, Yahweh, uh, uh, finds its fruition in the New Testament. When our Lord Jesus tells the Pharisees that before Abraham was, was, I am. Jesus used this name to authenticate his deity. The second person of Trinity is revealed as Yahweh through the application of this name. And the name of Jesus, every name will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of the Father, Philippians 2. This name, this psalm exalts the majesty 
the goodness, the grandeur, the splendor, the royalty of Yahweh's name. Oh, oh Yahweh, master, king, ruler, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, brothers, that's deep, friends. That's deep, friends. A practical question that I would ask you this morning before you go back home is this. Are you thrilled by God's name? Are you living a life that magnifies Yahweh and honor Him? Make it your aim this week to share with friends about about God's name, be about God's passion and about God's fame. Make it every corner to make it any corner that you are. I don't know the streets here, but I'm familiar with Kabrone Street. That in every street, make sure that you share God's fame. And God's glory, God's majesty. If you are in captured friends, if you are in frail friends, if you are captivated friends by God's name, you can't hold the news to yourself. You can't. How dare you? You can't. Because the beauty of that particular name raptures, revolutionizes your thinking, changes the way you look, you look at life. The psalmist, oh Lord, our God. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Let's go to the second point. Let's go to the point that we look at as a, a how God's infinite glory, how God's infinite glory being revealed in God's name. A second point, God's infinite glory is displayed in attaining victory through unexpected means. Look at verse, 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 verse one again. Verse one. Oh Lord our God. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Look at verse 2. How did the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your voice. To steal the enemy and the thing. Uh, the, the enemies and the avengers. Uh, let me start with asking you a question. If you, you are told to select your favorite soccer team. To win the World Cup, which team would you, would you choose? I know you would. You would go for the crema de la crema of world soccer. You would choose Cristiano Ronaldo. You would choose Lionel Messi. You would choose Kenosi Mulato. Because one or the other friends, you wanna win the World Cup. You go for the strong, not for the weak, aren't you? But God's choice, brothers and sisters, is vastly and radically different than our than our choice god's strength is demonstrated by choosing what is deemed insignificant and weak he does not go for the strong for the tried and tasted like in nothing type of a thing but he strives in weakness so that the glory should belong to none one else to none else but to him alone look at phrase here in this, in this verse 2 you have established strength. And the, this phrase implies God's sovereign ordination. In his sovereign, while he sets strength on what is unlikely, he order to shut up what is uh, to the enemy. The enemy might look so strong, fearsome, undefeated. But God defeats them through what an expected means. Uh, this kind of the story and narrative and concepts is, is all in the Bible, is it not? One can recall the victory acquired uh, through praise. Uh, think about the walls of Jericho. Do you still remember them? 
uh, how mighty and strong they were. But what happened? The victory was uh, was attained through what? A trumpet. A trumpet in the wall. Of course. What about Goliath and the mighty man whom even the strongest Israel feared? But God chose the weak so that he might display his glory. The time will fail me if I talk about Jehoshaphat, David's mighty man. This concept, brothers, is also depicted in who? In the Messiah. Uh, the Jews expected the Messiah to come with glory and splendor and be a mighty man of war. They expected him to be a political figure that could turn out the Roman Empire and establish Israel the next day. You know, if you read uh, the, 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 uh, the encounters in the gospel after Jesus uh, maybe have performed the, the miracle, the, the people were ready to, to, to inaugurate as a king the next day. Even the disciples themselves. But Isaiah 53, uh, uh, verse 2, depict the Messiah as very different. He, uh, that's Isaiah 53, verse 2. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire of him. God strive in choosing that which is weak. God, God in this, in this, in this passage mocks and easily defeats the enemy through the praise of the little children. Uh, through, through the voice of the, of, uh, of little children. He ordains strength through them. I love, I love the following, uh, Oliver uh, Cromwell, whom, you know, John Owen worked along with him. He's got this beautiful line, uh, uh, that, uh, brings glory to God in his, in his pursuits and his wars, he writes. He said, I could not ride alone about my business, but, but smile out to God in praises, in assurance of victory, because God would, by things that are not, bring to naught Things that they are, and I'll, Oliver Cromwell also captured, understood how God used that what is deemed as weak. This passage before us re- re- revealed this principle. One gets the idea that the children's voice drawn out of the ugly cries of those who speak against God. The statement here, here in verse two, has got a military sense to it. The understanding that the children defeat the enemy due to the use of the stronghold. Jesus quoted this verse in verse 2. This verse, when he was healing in the temple and the children were proclaiming him as the Messiah and shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law were indignant at this and asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? That's in Matthew chapter 21, verse 14 to 16. And Jesus replied. Then he quoted verse 82. Have you never, have you never read from the lips of children and the infants you have ordained praise? What's the point? What's the point here? Uh, the point is this, is this, is this. God glorify himself. God brings honor to himself. The majestic of God are being displayed when he chose something that is insignificant. God, God uses the unlikely candidates to win his battle. 
He, he chose that which is despised. He chose that which is looked down upon. And the argument concerning in First Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 about the issue of, of the debate who is, who is greater as the guys would rally themselves. I am of Peter. I am sorry and so. Apostle Paul has got one point. That God has chosen a despised element in order to, 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 to glorify himself. He chosen the foolishness of the cross. How, 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 how can we take uh, uh, win the nations for God. How can we, we, I mean, if I can ask you a question, how can we win all the nations to God? I mean, you'll come up with a proper strategies, with a vision and how you know, your methodology would be and your, your framework will be. And you will tell me all your theoretical framework. <laughs> but God, I chose one thing, the foolishness of the cross. How would we take the nation? How can we take Rustenberg back to God? How can Rustenberg glorify God? How can the honor of God be seen in every corner of Rustenberg? It's the, through the preaching of the despised message that the foolishness of the cross burns. Okay, we'll, we'll look at two points first. A gross glory uh, being displayed in his name. Uh, second point, we look at a God's name, a God's fame and glory being displayed by choosing that which is weak. And the third point, friends, third point, uh, third, third point, third point is this. God's infinite glory being displayed in creation. In creation. Look at verse, uh, look at, look at verse 3 with me. And so when, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The literal word which is used here for the term, the term uh, is to look. This, this show that this psalmist is composed differently in the night. The, the psalmist moves out of his house and look upon the heavens. And what does he see? The moon and the stars. He then concludes, these are God's creation. The stars and the moon remind the psalmist that this, this, these are God's creation. Therefore, they are displaying God's glory. One of the psalmists, uh, one of the columnists, were, were, uh, wrote concerning about the beauty of the, of the universe down there. He says, he said, I marvel today at the vastness of the glory outside. And the, the greatness of the universe at large. After the ex extraordinary series of images that emerges from Plato, we have yet another reminder of the marvels of the universe, even relatively close to our own back, our own cosmic backyard. We have no idea truly, uh, truly, of the vastness of the universe, the portion of the universe that we know about. What we can see and sense bewilders us, baffles us, and humbles the imagination. Instead of miles and kilometers, we measure it with the speed of a light, he says. Light takes, light takes eight minutes to get to us from the sun. In other words, the sun we can see now depends, departed the sun eight minutes ago. <laughs> We measure the distance between the stars in how many years light needs to travel. 
at the awesome speed of 300,000 kilometers per second. We as humans drive for 60 or 6 miles per, per hour. Light travels 186,000 miles per second. In other words, in other words, uh, one of the of the the the, the pattern, uh, birth patterns, after studying the beauty and the nature of the of the cosmos, write the following: it says, the the universe is all that that was, and all that is, and all that it will be. In other words, he attributes the the uh, the, uh, the the attributes of God to the universe. Because of his beauty, therefore, he comes with the conclusion, oh, maybe the universe is God. The psalmist stands on the same place and recognizes that the creation revealed the infinite glory of the eternal Father who is in heaven. Look at what he says. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Look at the phrase, that term, set in place. Uh, th- that entails that they are God's fingers. Those are, are God's work. In other words, he stands in a different place than in the others uh, 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 ethnic groups that were surrounded at that particular time that worship the moon, that worship the sun. But here he comes to a conclusion. These are God's uh, creation. Maybe a question. What is your response when you look at the stars and the moon? Does it cause you to bow down your head in worship of God? Or your heart is simply now dull? You see? It's a simple, your heart is simply dull, now dull because you're used to the sun and the moon. Is it, is it our, our heart sometimes becomes so dull because you're used to this? I remember some first time when I, I drove over to Victoria Falls. Uh, from afar, I just when I'm close to five kilometers away, I could hear the noise of the water crashing on each other. Uh, my heart was filled both with awe and fear. And uh, what kind of the beauty exists in this place? In other words, my heart was raptured with awe, uh, with an amazement, with a bewilderment because of what is being, what what I saw at that particular time. Should our hearts, brothers and sisters, be, 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 be baffled, be bewildered, be raptured when we look at the sun and the moon every day, when it wakes up in the middle of the night and, and across the, the, the day, as it goes, should we not be wilded by the beauty of the nature of the, of the sun, uh, with its beauty and rays as it, as it goes around the day? One or the other has to capture our heart and say it displaying the glory of God. As the psalmist said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Are you raptured with this God's creation? Are you thrilled or you have become just a practical atheist at you, one or the other? 
before we look at first point, guys, a snapshot of God's glory being being captured in in Yahweh's name, and that snapshot of God's infinite glory be revealed in our God uh, winning battle and choosing that which is insignificant. And we also look at God's snapshot of His infinite glory uh, being revealed in creation. Let's go to your first point. God's infinite glory displayed in humanity. Look at verse 4. This verse with me. Verse 4. Verse 4 has to be read in light with verse 3. Look at verse 3 first. Set the context. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, that question then comes, what is the man? What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. You have, you have made him a little lower than a heavenly being and crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet and all sheep and oxen and the beasts, the best of the sea and the heavens, the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the path of the sea. Now, if you look at this psalm, this psalm is made of what we call chiastic structure. In other words, in this psalm, the outer parts go together, and the middle part becomes the central point of this psalm. In other words, therefore, in verse 4, in verse 4 right there, you have touched the heart of Psalm 8 right there. You have touched the heart of Psalm 8. This passage flows from the footstep of previous texts. It builds upon the previous thought. The psalmist look at the vastness of creation and how incredible it is. He is amazed by the thought that God, even though you have created the vastness of the universe and the sun, the sun and the moon and the, and the stars and how beautiful they are, but the question really comes, the place of man, what is a man? That you take, you take thought of him. He is bewildered that God is still uh, uh, care about the mankind. What is the man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? That's the question. The psalmist is amazed, blown away by God's providential care and sustenance. Ponder this thought that God takes care of the entire universe and sustain it. But he still take care of the fallen creatures called man. And the man used, and the, the name for, for word, that's really used right there in this psalm. It's just closer to my name, by the way. It's Enosh. <laughs> Very close right there. But God still take care of this frail, wicked man. God still care for him. Look at the beauty. I mean, really, what do you want, want to know whether you are beautiful or what? Stand next to a Victoria Falls. You will see how insignificant you are. And that's really in line of this psalm. Look at the beauty of the stars and the man. And you look at the man. And the psalmist said, what is a man that you take thought of him? The psalmist, the psalmist is amazed. That they are still the objects of God's attention in their frail state. Oh friends, what a joy. God who governs the heavens and God who still care for us. We are the object of his attention 
of his unchanging love. This friends, this, this friends have to drive us to our knees in, in worship and make our hearts to be captivated, captivated by God's glory and honor. So in other words, what are human, human beings that you still remember them? And this daunting question which inspired the psalmist is, is raised by, by certain awareness of God's glory that is revealed in creation. In other words, here in verse 4 is the axiom in which the whole psalm turns and rotates. The interrogative math that's really used at the beginning and at the end of the psalm also being used in the middle of this psalm. In, this psalm. in other words, the result is a poetic echo between the start, the middle, and the end of the psalm. Here, what is man that you take care of him, that you think of him, is a central point of Psalm 8. Uh, one of the writers say, if the, if, if the psalm ended here, the implication would be that in light of God's infinite glory, it's only with a scornful wonder that this, this world can see finite human being. This psalm reaches its peak here. The nation which surround Israel worship other stuff. But here now you find men being in elevated state as compared to other, 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 other creation. Look at verse 4 again. Verse 5. Yet you have made him little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Then you have given him over the works of your hands. In other words, this line staggers at the surrounding nation because they thought the stars and the moon are supposed to be at an elevated state. Man is supposed to worship the stars and the moon. But here, it's just staggering that, that man is made little lower than Elohim. This psalm staggers the heathens. This psalm staggers the surrounding nation. That man is at the highest point as compared to man, uh, to, to creation. The psalm here refers to, as to say, to a fall, to a man before the fall. It is in this state that man is made little lower than God. He's perfect in beauty and form. He's the pinnacles, man, on, of God's creation. But alas, what happened? Uh, through the corruption of man, man lost the place of his beauty. And man entered into the sinful, sinful state. But one thing that we find here, Paul, Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 5, uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 5, uh, chapter 2, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 takes the idea in verse 24 and 25 and develop it much further. The writer of Hebrew also take the same idea also again in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11. But, but the question remains this. If you read, if you read uh, this psalm a little bit, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen. In other words, you could see a man in, in, a, in dominion and ruling. But, but Paul, Paul asked the question, but yet, we don't really see all things under your subjections, aren't you? I mean, ask those that are married. 
<laughs> we don't see yet everything under your feet yet. In other words, in other words, in other words, this psalm therefore moves from just being a man-centered psalm to show somebody to be a messianic psalm. Look at chapter uh, Hebrews chapter two. Uh, no, he, Hebrews chapter two, verse five to eleven. Let's go there, friends. Hebrews chapter two, verse five to eleven. It's in the New Testament, by the way. Hebrews chapter chapter two, verse five to eleven. Let's see whether you still recognize this line. You there? If you find it, reads as follows. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. He has been, uh, it has been testified somewhere. That's right. Let's call, and the psalm eight right there. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, and put everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he has left nothing out of his control. In other words, God created man in innocence and gave him dominion over the earth. Man sin immediately lost his dominion. Jesus came to die to remove the curse and the shame so that the man could regain his dominion. Thus, his death was the most powerful in all history. He came to restore uh, uh, restore the curse. The curse. If he was to remove the curse on, of man, he had to take a place of man by becoming man himself. And though for this purpose he became lower than the angels, he accomplished that which no angels could ever accomplish. So therefore, then Jesus becomes our substitute. Christ become, uh, becomes our salvation author. Jesus becomes a certain conqueror. And Christ Jesus becomes our sympathizer. In other words, therefore, it's within, only in Christ, therefore, that God's ultimate glory and honor and splendor is depicted. It's in Christ whereby, for, therefore, God is depicted in His, in His full and totality. God's ultimate glory and honor is seen in Christ. Here, as we, we look at this psalm, all things are put in subjection to him. And the psalm now turns from just be a man and to point to Christ. This entails, brothers and sisters, that being captured, being captured with God's infinite glory entails setting Christ as your chief joy. Treasuring Christ above all earthly things means magnifying the beauty of Christ, means enjoying the glory of Christ. It means unashamedly declaring Christ and boldly living to Christ. That's one of my favorite thoughts. They say, Thee will I cherish. Thee will I honor. My soul, glory, joy, and crown. Here we could see in this psalm, in the beginning, we see God's infinite glory displayed in Yahweh's name. We see also the second point, God's infinite glory be depicted in God uh, using the weak 
in order to win victory. We also see God's infinite glory being displayed in creation. But we see also God's infinite glory being depicted in human, but but pointing to the one who has to come, which is Christ. But look at how then the psalm concludes again. It concludes the way it started. It starts, it's captured with the beauty and the glory of God. Verse 8. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. From the beginning to the end, brothers and sisters, the psalm is captured with the beauty and the passion for God, with the desire to spread the fame of God in every corner of the earth. Spurgeon always, when I want to preach, he wanted to say something, and here is what he writes. Here, like a good composer, the poet returned to his keynote, falling back, as it were, into the faith, in the first state of adoring, of wandering adoration. Oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you. We praise your name. We glorify your name. Lord, how majestic indeed is your name in all the earth. I pray for each and everyone in this place, uh, going through a difficult uh, situation in life, that Lord, at least one or the other, the heart will be open to the beauty uh, of your name, uh, to the family struggling, that indeed your glory and fame will, will capture their hearts and bring them to you. Uh, to your student uh, uh, at, at home, uh, the, those that are writing exam, uh, that Lord, one thing that will grab their heart and mind is the beauty and the glories of Christ. We learn in this psalm that the psalm is it's got so many issues in some five, in some four, and some three, but there's one thing that protects his heart to wonder, that sets his heart attuned to God. That's your glory and your fame. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.